Hello everyone, Justin Vakula here. You're listening to the Stoic Philosophy Podcast, practical wisdom for everyday life. Today's episode features special guest Lou Hastings. We talk about Native American culture and its parallels to Stoic philosophy. Visit my website at justinvakula.com where you can find links to my social media portals and see past content on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. Support my work by becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon or by making a PayPal donation. See the donate tab on my website. Share, comment, like, subscribe, and leave a review. I really appreciate your support and feedback, which helps me grow my audience and keeps this project going. Find links to support and connect with me in the show notes. Lou Hastings has been the host of the Red Road Radio Show since 2014 and founder of the Native Now Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that began in 2013. Lou has written for several publications, including Gasparilla Magazine, Northport Magazine, Harbor Style, Native Hoop Magazine, and has been published in Native News Online. He has studied Native American culture for well over 25 years and majored in anthropology, archaeology at Rutgers University, where prehistoric Native American was his primary focus. Lou has visited various tribal nations for over 40 years while living in New York, Texas, Colorado, Florida, and Pennsylvania. In the late 1990s, he moved to Sheridan, Wyoming to be closer to the Crow Nation in Montana in order to more easily facilitate his research on the Little Bighorn Battle. He has family that lives on the Cheyenne River and Standing Rock Reservations and is working on a book recounting his journeys through Indian country. Lou is currently studying treaties and tribal rights and is the only international board member for Okiapi Tipi, a nonprofit organization located on the Cheyenne River Sioux Reservation in Eagle Butt, South Dakota. Find more information about him in the show notes. Now, on to the discussion. All right, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Justin. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to uh, to have me on your show. And thanks for coming on. Yes, we met at the local NEPA BlogCon conference as you were one of the speakers there. So that led to the discussion today. Right. And I'm really glad that uh, that you came up and engaged me because ultimately what we hope when we're at these events and particularly if you're giving a talk that you affect somebody in a way that they want to continue the discussion. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your presentation at the conference? Absolutely. So my uh, the title of my presentation was Why Culture Content Matters. And one of the things that I think, I, I, this might be something more personal to me, but especially on social media, I've seen a lot of disconnect, a lot of discord, a lot of isolationist behavior. And, and I think that's that is dividing us and we we need to get more into a discussion about what each other is about so that content and and culture plays into that right if you mm-hmm. start to isolate yourself uh, then you become intolerant so I wanted to make sure that content producers like we like all of the people that were at BlogCon and any other conference for that matter, um, remember that part and not just be up there trying to uh, to teach or just to speak. You know, some people like to speak just to hear the sound of their own voice to actually bring some content that actually makes people think and go, oh, I did not know that I had or I had no idea and give them an extra context in, in which to be understood 
and to understand others. So that was really what the what the purpose was. I don't know if I achieved that or not. But, <laughs> right. Well, we're here today talking, so that was a good start. I, I see a lot in Stoic thought. There's a lot of reference of important texts, dramas, plays that really portray the human experience and that readers, listeners would have some knowledge of the Odyssey, the Iliad, stories like this that really show some important themes some elements of human nature that we can understand through telling these stories and a native american thought you spoke about some of those stories as well absolutely um and it's important because we don't we don't get this knowledge you know i i think we all have read the odyssey and and the iliad and you know all of those classics and certainly that lays some groundwork and and is helpful but we need applications in today's society as well. And w once we start, you know, dividing people and putting people in a box or just totally ignoring them altogether, we get into that danger zone of where we will allow just about anything to happen. And that's how communities and uh, populations get disenfranchised. Right. Maybe it could be easy to focus on all of the perceived differences, but not the things that we have in common, right? Exactly. That's a great way to put it, Justin. Mm -hmm. What led you to hosting your radio show, The Red Road Radio Show, and regularly producing content, sharing these stories? Well, that's a great question. So I was on a local radio station in Southwest Florida, uh, when I was the executive director of the Chamber of Commerce in uh, for a, a tiny island there in the Gulf of Mexico. And I had a weekly show called Gulf Coast Business Spotlight where I interviewed local business owners about why their businesses were important and just to to help get their their business and their uh, what they do out there to a wider audience. And the local radio station thought that that was a good idea. That ran its course for a couple of years. And then ultimately, when you reach the end of, uh, of your, you know, your pool of interviewees, you have to sort of either fold up or, or morph into something a little bit different. So I approached the radio station with an idea because I already worked in the Native American community with my 501c3, the uh, Native Now Foundation, mm. and said, hey, would you be interested in doing a show based on Native American issues, news, so it would be news, commentary, and interviews about things that are going on in Indian country. And what I found was, especially on the East Coast, for some reason, there is not a lot of news that you can find. Actually, anywhere in the country, but specifically right. the East Coast. So it was a conversation that I thought needed to be had, and fortunately, the radio station agreed, and we started it up, and I thought this was a way to amplify indigenous voices. Mm -hmm. So I would interview the, uh, the movers and shakers, if you will, in Indian country to talk about some of the issues that they experience day to day, and it really gave me uh, a great sense of satisfaction to be able to do something extra. So it was sponsored by my foundation to start this radio station, uh, this radio show on this station. Right. And I just wanted to continue it, yeah. 
Yeah, it's an interesting time today is that anyone could seem to, well, at least with technology and some level of skill, put content out there and actually have a platform and have a voice, whereas in times past, maybe that wasn't so much the case. So it's an interesting opportunity that you can have. Agreed. So independent media is critical, especially to uh, indigenous populations. Now that we have these platforms like Facebook and Facebook Live really mm-hmm. has revolutionized what uh, what we're able to see in the in the social condition area. And I'm sure that you can agree that these things that normally would go, you know, fly under the radar, uh, you know, it, it was one thing to have a camera in everyone's pocket. But mm-hmm. now we can actually go live as if uh, as if a news organization would and say this is happening right now and there was no greater example of that than what happened on the standing rock reservation last year yeah it's a it's a common theme in stoic thought as well to be engaged with society to work towards some sort of social good to try to improve the world to try to spread wisdom to try to engage people Right. So this could be a way to do that with new media. Indeed. And, and the success of Facebook just goes to prove that out. Mm-hmm. And not just staying in our own communities, as you said, and maybe even echo chambers, as that could be a danger of just isolating ourselves. And if we're going to learn these things and have this information, well, what good is it if we don't share it with others? Right. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad that we have the ability to do that in in today's society with with the technology that we have maybe minds won't be changed or people won't be totally receptive to the message or engage with it but we can have some gratitude i think and that we have those opportunities and i think this this idea of gratitude comes up a lot in native american thought can you talk about that absolutely while i don't practice it every day (laughs) like most people i guess there is that that sense of of gratitude to be in in time and space for for what you have here's a a community that has been marginalized and oppressed for hundreds of years and is still so today despite what conventional wisdom is or conventional thought is about what a an indigenous community is and what a tribal nation is. Um, there's still that sense of gratitude that you know I'm good with what I have. There is this thought that runs through Indian country, and when I say Indian country, I mean uh, areas that that have concentrations of reservations, and it's kind of something that is self-identified, right, if you live in these communities. Mm -hmm. And the thought is that when people visit these reservations or these communities, they go away with a sense of this extremely impoverished and uh, at-risk community. And while that's true, anytime you see this in the media or anytime somebody wants to take this and, and run with it for whatever purpose, whatever their designs on, on the, the end game is, indigenous people refer to that as poverty porn, mm-hmm. right? So, And they don't want the community at large or society at large to think that they are victims, right? They, they have 
everything that they need really to survive. And they are happy and thankful for it. Now, would it be better if there was more heat, if there was um, better education, if there was better health care? Absolutely. Of course, that would, right. uh, that would elevate the human condition. But they extremely dislike when people use the, the community as something to promote. There's nothing good about it. Right. So an idea of being content with what we have, making the best of things, and also making strides to improve, to be better, and to improve our quality of life. Indeed. And there's a component there, Justin, that that says, you know, we were fine. We were just fine before uh, colonization. And then here comes this new idea that, well, you are uncivilized. Here's where, what you should be doing. And we're going to help you. Mm-hmm. Right, we're going to rescue you, and even to this day, there is that sense that we don't need your help. We we can do just fine on our own if you, you know, release the restrictions that you have on us that we never had before. So there is that thought that. Right. And we we can often take those things for granted, right? Maybe we'll focus on the negatives, we'll complain, we'll bicker, but not realize how many things are going well for us. Right. This is first world problems, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. And the, the traditions still live on, the languages still live on, the culture, the stories, the people, although yes, as you say, they're, they're under threat. Right, but people can work to try to preserve these traditions, these communities, and that is happening today. Indeed, there's a struggle to continue that because think of, uh, again, here's the double-edged sword of access to technology, right? There is that risk that the, the young people are not going to be interested in tradition or in uh, conventional wisdom. And, you know, they, they call older people elders because they've achieved this status in life where they have amassed this experience. And the job of the elder is to bring that knowledge and help the youth using those traditions, using that traditional mm-hmm. wisdom, using those stories to keep the culture alive. And it's particularly important when we talk about even the last 150 years where the, uh, the society at large tried to extinguish all of it, including forcing people not to speak their own language, taking their children away from them to try and break the family unit. I mean, this, it was genocide without the actual killing, but it was the killing of a culture. Right. So it becomes that that much more important to uh, to pass this wisdom down to the youth, so it can be used, and it's often spoken about in uh, Lakota culture as uh, you know the seventh generation. You always have to think about the things that you do today and how it will affect seven generations ahead. Right, to have a longer view of things and not just uh, focus on, oh, well, I'll get some gratification or pleasure today, or even maybe sacrificing our principles to have some sort of gain in the short term. Exactly, and that's where we are in mainstream society for the most part, um, where you know I'll, I'll take the quick buck now, 
and not worry about later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the elder is an interesting idea. Is this is something that's in many traditions and many cultures and stoicism. We talk about the stoic sage, this person who is this model, this enlightened person who is um, perfected in a way many virtues such as acceptance, gratitude, justice, right? Um, maybe we won't reach that state, but we can always strive toward it. Is that similar to how the elder is viewed in the Native American traditions? Well, absolutely. And that's that's the lesson that we can learn, isn't it? And interestingly enough, if you sit down and speak with some elders in, in different indigenous communities, they'll, they'll guide you back to your own traditions, to your own culture. Again, going back to my talk at, at BlogCon, mm-hmm. where they'll, they'll say, you know, at one time, we all came from a tribal society. We all came for, from a, a community where the only way you knew how to do things was it was passed down or you were able to learn from your immediate family, from your elders. So it's not that far removed for all of us if we can have the presence of mind to think about that and get back there, even if for some short time. Right different focuses that people might have and who knows how people think of meaning in life and what's important to them. Whereas today it might just be, Oh, consuming celebrity culture. It might be, Oh, I'm just going to eat as much as I want, spend all this money and that's going to make me happier. But then people find out that that's not the case or that that happiness isn't sustainable. They're not content with that over time as they gain more money, they want more and more. The desire really never ends, but maybe there can be a sort of contentment in learning about these traditions and pursuing wisdom and just perfecting oneself and reaching out to others. Indeed. And if you think about, and I I bring this up a lot on my show, uh, ever since the incident at Standing Rock last year, and for your audience who might not be familiar with it, it was the, the Standing Rock Sioux Nation who put out a call to people all around the world to say, our community is under threat. Our water is in danger. Mm-hmm. Please come and, and help us. And, and people flocked from all around the country, thousands of people, to to do just that and to stand with them. So I kind of reference this as a, a benchmark in indigenous history. There's before Standing Rock and after Standing Rock. And what it was, was this, this stand to say, all right, let's, let's look at this issue. This is about oil. Let's make no mistake about it. And it's about a company who is using this. It's not for the greater good. Mm-hmm. As much as that's the way they paint it. They say, we all need this oil. We, you, know, you can't live without it. And we are just merely the, the production side. Right, and then eventually it will get delivered to the the consumers who are all of you, and there was nothing in the tribes um, dialogue or in anyone who actually came to stand with the tribe that said we shouldn't use oil at all. It was we need to start thinking about this for the future. It doesn't make sense anymore, and. Once we start taking the safety of water 
out of the mix and potentially putting a community at risk. So this pipeline was going to go in under the Missouri River a half mile from the Standing Rock Nation's border, the reservation's border, Mm. and just north of their water intake. So they had a legitimate concern. And it didn't matter to the oil company. It didn't matter to the United States government. And really, aside from the couple dozen, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe there was 30,000 people that eventually made it through Standing Rock from around the world. Outside of that community, there was enough indifference or even uh, resistance that that pipeline went through. It went through and it didn't matter. It was for the immediate gratification right. of, of course, first the, the oil company and then the end user. And nothing was advanced to think about what this means for the seventh generation. And that's that connective, the connectiveness that we, you know, that we have. Right. And that's important to just, yeah, think of those future implications. And yes, what is our role in respect to the environment, in the respect to nature? Are we supposed to be caretakers of that? How how should we see ourselves rather than just trying to maybe increase our bank account or extract some sort of resources? What are the implications of that? What might the consequences be in the long run, right? Right. And think about the catch-22. If you live on a reservation that is in a very remote area, you have no other choice but to use a vehicle to get goods and services, right? On the Cheyenne River Reservation in South Dakota, where I have relatives, and I've stayed out there many times working for uh, Habitat for Humanity, the closest Walmart is 100 miles away. Wow. So... You know, then you have to think, well, will you use oil and gasoline and you're Native American? And so how do you how do you reconcile that? How do you justify? And the answer, of course, is you need to at least be thinking about it. You can't just blindly say we're going to extract more resources and not think about any other option. Right. We're we're stuck. We are stuck because this is the the mode of transportation that everyone has available to them. This is it. This is what we've got. Mm-hmm. But no one's dealing with any other option. And that is the biggest complaint, right? That's the biggest goal is to get people to start thinking, is to start people innovating and getting away from this mindless uh, resource extraction that destroys ecosystems. It destroys the, the earth mm-hmm. yeah there might be some harm that we do here or there but try to minimize that and even offset it in some cases but with standing rock as you're saying yes it, the the equation there doesn't seem to make sense that there isn't that minimal harm there's an extreme amount of damage right so there are a lot of considerations with that and there were other uh considerations as you said you know there was uh sacred land So this is a a spiritual place. And their objection is, how can you desecrate? This is our religion, right? This this land is sacred. 
this land is where we pray. Mm-hmm. We don't plow through your churches, you know, when we want something, and we, we would never think to do such a thing. Right. But, but to not even take it into consideration. So it was all about destruction and nothing about thought, nothing about uh, rights, nothing about um, respect. And this is a, it, an underserved population, right? So they, are, they probably represent 3%. Indigenous people represent 3% of the American population. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea no. of connectedness too. That oh well, we're our, we're all humans. We share this common humanity, and maybe it can lead us to reflect about others, about their wants, about their needs, about their goals. And oh well, if I was in their shoes, would I want this happening to me? This kind of golden rule idea that we think about that's present within a lot of traditions as well. Indeed, and there's so much, so much more at play here. Just think about the psychology of this, Justin. So if everything has been taken from you, land, culture, language, and you are put on this limited area, this is the reservation. This is where, okay, this is what you get. We get everything else. And think about this. You are going to hold on to that as strongly and as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. So when someone comes in and threatens what little you have left, you're going to fight. You are going to object. And no one is taking that into consideration either. Right. And, and here we see that politics and money seems associated with corruption, that Native Americans aren't being fairly treated by governments today, and even that treaties aren't honored. The tribes aren't even recognized. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So that plays in exactly what we were just talking about. So the 1851 Treaty of Fort Laramie guaranteed the land that is even outside of the reservation boundary proper in Standing Rock. And that was the argument of the oil company. Because the land is under the management of the Army Corps of Engineers, or even the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the Department of the Interior, they all have sway over reservation land but this specifically was treaty land and they used this in court it didn't matter and for people to not realize the importance of that in 2016 when it was happening and and certainly in 2017 we can see that that these things are still going on but no one knows about it no one hears about it Mm So I'm here on the radio screaming at the top of my lungs, <laughs> not, not literally, but coming to, and, and for a while, for a long while, I was doing it every day, Monday through Friday. And then my schedule became such where I, I could only do it once a week, which is what I'm doing now right. for two hours. But I'm yelling to anyone who will listen, hey, this is happening today. This is not something that you read in a history book and now it's over and people should get over it. The government is still doing this. They are still oppressing indigenous communities. Corporations are still oppressing indigenous communities. Treaties are still being violated. We can go and talk about the Black Hills, which since time immemorial, the Black Hills have been sacred to the Lakota people, mm-hmm. to the entire Sioux Nation. And it was guaranteed by treaty that the United States government would not take the Black Hills from the Lakota. 
And this is in South Dakota, right? The Black Hills. If you've never visited, I highly recommend it. It is exactly that. It's a spiritual place. And it was taken back in the 1870s when gold was discovered there. And for a while, for a short while, the United States government set up army outposts to try and keep these prospectors out these uh, people who were running in to take advantage of the gold rush. And eventually, President Grant had to finally say, you know what, we we can't do it. We can't keep all of these people out and pulled the army back. And now it's it's been completely taken over. Mount Rushmore was chiseled right into sacred mountains in the center of the Black Hills. And that is a constant slap in the face to the Lakota people. Now, what we discovered over time, there was a lawsuit that was filed back in the 1930s mm-hmm. on behalf of the, the Sioux Nation against the United States government for stealing the Black Hills. That court case was eventually adjudicated in 1980, and the decision by the court was, yes, it, they were stolen according to treaty. You're right. We were wrong. Here's a bunch of money to compensate you for it. Right. And the tribes all got together and said, no, we don't accept your money because the Black Hills aren't for sale. That money went into the United States Treasury and has been building interest since then. It's up to, I want to say, somewhere around $3 billion. Wow. And the tribes still will not take that money. Every single president since 1980 has tried to push the tribes into accepting this money. And every single time, the tribes refuse it. Right. And say the Black Hills are not for sale. So there's an example of tradition, of culture, of history, of connectedness that cannot be bought. Right. So some things more important than those financial... And think about all the things that that money can buy for these communities who are in need think of think of that and that is not what's important in in other words we're missing the point right yeah what can be the proper restitution how can one possibly have justice in that scenario it would be difficult to be sure mm-hmm. but the united states government is not even interested in entertaining any ideas you know part of the solution which was posited by the tribes was how about all of the land that is under government control in the Black Hills, in and around the Black Hills, that are being held by the Army Corps of Engineers or the Department of the Interior. And no one is doing anything with it, by the way, except the, uh, the government is probably leasing it out to ranchers and farmers and making money off it, by the way. Right. And one of the ideas was, how about turning that land back over to the tribe? You know, obviously you can't go in and kick out everyone who lives in the Black Hills, you know, these tens of thousands of people who, who live there now, mm-hmm. who, who are not of uh, Native American descent. You know, that, that's not possible. It's not plausible. But there are options. The government will not entertain them. The, the money is there. You take the money or no deal. And that is just, you know, we're at an impasse. 
Right. You, you mentioned feeling a sense of anger on your radio show, following stories like this one, hearing about injustice. How do you deal with that anger? I go on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's difficult, Justin. That's really a great question, though. I think what works for me and what matters to me is to be able to report it and comment on it and then if I can, interview people who who have a say. Again, just amplify indigenous voices. The more people that hear about these things, then maybe social justice can be something that uh, can build up and there can be some coalitions that can help mitigate these, you know, these issues right. and these concerns. But, you know, with uh, that's pretty much how I do it. I think I think that makes me feel a little bit better to be able to get it out and feel like if one person hears it and it makes them think and then they share it around the work water cooler or they share it around the dinner table or they share it with their significant other mm -hmm. and their friends, I feel like then then there was some good that, that came out of it. Right. So there's a productive end to it because often people can just be in a rage or they're just upset and they don't really do anything with it. It builds up inside and it doesn't lead to any kind of productive end. Right. But in your case, you're actually sharing these stories with people and you're, you're hoping for some improvement, some reflection, some positive end amidst the. Absolutely. And I think the, the most satisfaction that I get is through the, the social media channels. Right. So my my twitter channel my facebook pages for the show and for the native now foundation all of these stories the ones that i cover on the radio show and others that i can't because i can't get to them all mm. it's not even possible um, i put them out every single day there are news stories that are pumped out on my social media every single day and when those things get shared retweeted when they when people comment on them that makes me feel like okay there there is something that can be done and again it's that amplification that uh, that added voice that is the most important thing to me so i i may sound uh, angry i mean i'm not on the air screaming like <laughs> some like some pundits might be right. but uh but i i will tell the audience if i'm frustrated um, but I feel like, hey, as long as there's somebody out there listening, then it's it's all worth it. My blood pressure doesn't rise, <laughs> <laughs> right. thankfully. Right. There's this idea in Stoic thought of just uh, doing the best we can with what we have, not focusing on so much of the result, but rather the process that we can say, oh, well, we can work to spread the message. Maybe we won't have this dramatic change overnight or even in the next month or so, but we can still focus on getting that word out and be happy with that. Maybe saying that, oh, well, we've made a good effort to try to work towards some sort of change in society. And Absolutely. And, th and that really is what makes for a fulfilling life. That you can maybe at the end of the race say, you know what, at least I used my time in a way that I feel was productive for the most amount of people. In other words, I wasn't in it for just myself. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes a long time for people to get there. Sometimes people are that way their entire life, you know. So hopefully if you can change one mind or if you can help someone get from point A to point B, then it's all been worth it. 
Right. And sometimes our expectations can be really high and people can be frustrated if they don't reach a certain goal or they don't have a certain amount of success that they see in a short amount of time. But we can maybe have a more realistic picture of things. Well, that's a great thing, uh, a great point that you just made, because I've been doing the Red Road Radio Show now for four years, and the the Native Now Foundation has been around for the, just about the same amount of time. And it seems like progress is moving very slow, but I'm gratified that I continue to press on, because you know there's always that hope that something will something will take or mm-hmm. someone will be affected or some fire will be started that uh, that will actually spark that change. Right. And sometimes you might not even know because you might not hear feedback from particular people or people will hear a story and you might not know what they did with it. Or even if you could entertain someone on a day-to-day basis or inform someone now, we could have podcasts as we're driving, as we're exercising and walking. There can be all kinds of utility and sharing wisdom and sharing information. Right. And I'm certainly thankful for this medium too, because when I left Florida, of course, I left my radio station that I was on. So I was wondering how I was going to continue. I knew I was going to continue the work with the foundation, but I was trying to figure out a way to get back on the air. So I live in Pennsylvania now, and someone interviewed me from FYINation.com, and they in- invited me to come and talk about Standing Rock because I did go uh, because I do have family there and when your family is in trouble you go. So after I got back I got interviewed and the person who was the owner of the network contacted me and said how would you like to do a show and I said hey I got a show for you. (laughs) (laughs) And so and that was just like the natural progression of things and now I've been on there for a little over a year. And it gave me that opportunity, right, to continue that work and and continue putting out that that content that I was so used to doing, number one, and and that I feel is really, really important. Right. So maybe sharing these stories can be a, a way of coping, given all of the things that can happen that can befall us, all the change, all the devastation, right? It's an interesting thing is maybe that can be a way to try to better deal with the situation. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about coping skills and stoicism? This comes up a lot where we can use some of these ideas and reflecting on, yes, what's going well, how to have resilience, how to overcome adversity. They're extremely important, right? Especially if you come from a community that over time has experienced so many barriers, so many challenges. So it is, uh, it's imperative that you employ every sort of coping skill that you can and, and you invent some that you never knew existed when you're confronted with these challenges. So I, I think you mentioned that probably this show is a coping skill for me, you know, with, with that frustration or uh, with a little bit of that anger about what's happening in Indian country, for me to be able to, to talk about it is a way to, to cope. And certainly when you engage 
engage that community, any indigenous community, any troubled nation, you are opening the door for that kind of coping skill. Right. Unfortunately, in Native American communities, at least that I've read in the textbook, there are often high rates of suicide, substance abuse, self-harm behavior, and poverty, malnutrition, and maybe people aren't getting along so well. Right. Interestingly enough, you might find higher rates of uh, substance abuse in inner city communities, which also have their own challenges. And in Native American communities, in these populations, there is that component of government control, right? So by treaty, the United States government provides health care, but it's going to be on the lowest rung of quality, mm-hmm. right? And that's always the case. So you're not going to have the, the best uh, life expectancies on reservations, Education is also guaranteed by treaty, so you're not going to have the, uh, the best of education opportunities on reservations. Infrastructure, all of those things that you mentioned as our challenges are intertwined and, and confused by this government involvement. The answer that I hear all too often is, well, you know, why can't they just leave? For people who who say that, my answer to them is, uh, you're missing the point. Why should they have to leave their home, their uh, their homelands, places that mean everything to them? They're not used to being these transient communities, like mainstream society is. Oh, I, you know, I was born in New York, but I I want to live in San Diego, California, because of the climate. And I'm, I'm willing to pick up my bags and move. Even though my right. family still lives on the East Coast, we can still fly back and forth and see one another. Those resources aren't available to uh, indigenous communities. They're, they're just not. So, I mean, you're, you're hard-pressed to be even able to fill your gas tank and drive off reservation if you have to, to work. Because the unemployment on reservation could be upwards of 80%. Mm-hmm. in in a lot of areas. So th- there's a lot of imposed challenge on these communities, but and and certainly, you know, to your point, some people cope with substance abuse. Some people have a higher instance of committing suicide and self-harm. And mm-hmm. that's it's just because of that extreme oppression, but you know, with research, you can find a lot of the same things in, in inner city communities and cities all around the country. Right. Would you give any sort of advice or any ideas for people to get through some of the challenges that they're facing? Well, it's, it's certainly difficult. It's more challenging, as I said, on the reservation than perhaps uh, resources that may be available elsewhere. Unless you are willing to leave. And yes, the option is there. And a lot of people do leave the reservation and never come back. Some people leave. They do whatever they're going to do, get an education, uh, live someplace else for a while, and return and hopefully use any skills that they've acquired to, to help the community around them. I think retreating into tradition, culture, spirituality, all of those things 
are probably the best coping mechanisms for indigenous communities because that's your own. It's all yours. And it's passed down from generation to generation, and it has worked to the, uh, the dismay of the powers that be and those folks who have been in charge for generations. All of the attempts to eliminate this indigenous population in this country has failed. So there's something to be said for the coping mechanisms already in place. Mm-hmm. And that that connectedness in the insular society, in that nuclear family, uh, my brother's family on the Cheyenne River Reservation, is really, really close. So they participate in all of the cultural activities like powwows and gatherings that really happen every season. And season being in the summertime, spring and, and summer and fall, where families travel around from city to city from village to village and and perform dance play music and all of those things keep them connected all of those things provide that that coping mechanism so that you don't think about what you don't have as you said earlier in the show but what you do have right so support systems are there as well if you could have this this culture these traditions that you can speak that common language with someone else and make these reference points and and control the things that you can control and not let the things that you can't control dictate your life as much as you can yeah it's a common theme within stoic thought and that yes we we have to think about what is in our power and for that which is not well the attitude of acceptance can really help us with that and just doing the best that we can to impact change and focus on ourselves, our mindset, our attitude that we're going to take when confronted with change, challenge, and many of the other stressors on a day-to-day basis. Right. And the more opportunity that we create by putting out this, uh, this knowledge, by continually talking about the concerns, the, the challenges, the barriers, in these communities, like especially for indigenous people, the more things are going to likely change for the better. Mm-hmm. So, so if the government is being a bad actor, then it's our job to get as many people together as possible and challenge them, call them to the carpet, and and say this is not acceptable. You cannot treat people this way especially in this day and age you can't get away with it we won't let you so that's the hope i guess all right very good any other closing ideas or thoughts i i think that's it and i just want to thank you so much justin i really appreciate the time and the ability to to sit down and chat with you today all right thank you very much for the discussion today you've been listening to lou hastings joining me here today visit my website at justinvacula.com where you can find links to my social media portals and see past content on soundcloud youtube itunes or stitcher support my work by becoming a monthly supporter on patreon or by making a paypal donation see the donate tab on my website share comment like subscribe and leave a review i really appreciate your support and feedback which helps me grow my audience and keeps this project going You've been listening to the Stoic Philosophy Podcast, practical wisdom for everyday life. Have a great day and stay tuned for more content.